Hello, welcome to Mark Langley's Horsemanship Podcast, a podcast helping people to understand their horses better, to provide solutions in a calm, connected way. I'm Jenny Barnes. And I'm Mark Langley. Hi Mark, we've got a question for you from Stella today. She asks, when a horse is over the threshold, rearing, bucking and other behaviours that might be aggressive or non-aggressive, what are some helpful de-escalation strategies that you could offer? Yeah, I guess uh, the hardest thing is, you know, once they get to that stage, I mean, good training is, you know, is I guess, a pre preventative of, of you know, that, that scenario when the horse is uh, what I call in the red zone. So um, <clears throat> at, at uh, clinics and uh, uh, I talk about different zones that horses go into and um, one of the, you know, so I talk about the red zone. Uh, the red zone, obviously, you know, when someone's in the red, they're in the red zone, they're really, really, really sort of, you know, really bothered uh so a horse is in the red zone and the, the red zone is not a zone that a horse you know you, you're really going to educate a horse in uh it's the sort of you know the zone where they just tap out emotionally uh the green zone is quite a like in uh in horses it's we want to make a big um variant in that green like a big wide green zone not some narrow green zone where the horse is only in this sort of learning state uh not very often um and then there's like the blue zone which i call is more like that rest and digest kind of zone where the horses kind of you know sit around you know stand around you know camping under a tree just just relaxed and resting and the purple zone which is a sort of a um a shut down shut out zone um so the red zone as i said isn't it's not a learning zone it's and 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 you've got to get them out of it out of that um but you can't spend your whole life avoiding it either. So, so basically, um, what what happens is we're trying to avoid that red zone. Um, but when they're in the red zone, you know, sometimes you know people think, oh, well, you can't get them out of it, or well, you can. Um, it's just that you have to distract them with something, you know, bigger than that emotional state that they're in. So, um, you know, it's harder when you're riding them and they get like that because you know some horses will stay on overload for hours and you know i've seen horses that have been ridden and they just you know, they're, they're just holding on to all this tension all the time and they're just sort of working with within the boundaries of pressure just but really stressed um and and it's very hard once a horse is uh being be, you know being in a mental like a uh, um like in that state for a long time and, and a fair bit of its life in in, in emotional situations uh, sometimes it's very hard to get them out of that state because it just becomes they you know it just they, they go into that state and they stay in there but as I say we've we've got to sort of do a distraction that's bigger than what's happening <clears throat> to that horse so uh, how I manage that situation I, I would well I don't manage it I just get the horse out of that state so the first thing I do is to, I try and distract them okay so you know that's where you might see me get kind of big with a flag as in I pop it very quickly and you know, I, I use sometimes a little bit of plastic on the flag or something like that, so it makes a sort of a quite a loud sound as I pop it. I might bang it on the, my boot. Uh, I might bang it on the ground quickly, uh, kind of really big. I might even do it two or three times just to sort of, um, you know, draw the horse's thoughts across to what what's happening, um, but more so um, just trying to get the horse to let go of what it was, you know, thinking. And so... So that will be using the flag. Now, some horses that have been chased around with sticks, and if that's the thing that escalates, and the most sometimes picking up that flag 
uh, could be quite scary and they'll go into these sort of random lunging circles because they've been, you know, maybe round penned or lunged or something like that. Uh, and in that case, that's why the flag sometimes has got to be quick. It's got to be quick and done and dusted like a lightning strike. Um, but just remember for everybody else, it's kind of like, you, you know, you, you basically, the horse is already in overload, so you're already unsafe. The horse is, you know, rearing, bucking, whatever, kicking, everything like that. And this this, this, this is what I'm talking about at the moment. It's on the ground. So basically, you're already in an unsafe state. So adding that extra pressure in there just to get the horse let go of something is something you kind of have to do because there's not much else you can do. Because sometimes just sitting there and kind of waiting and, and breathing and trying to become a tree and all that sort of thing doesn't quite get the horse out of that state um, because, um, you know, we, we just become invisible. So, um, so yeah, so another thing I might do, if I don't have a flag or something like that, I might do a quick walk in the opposite direction. So if the horse is going one way, I'll quickly walk the other way. I'll pick up on that, that the lead rope as I walk off. I'll firm up on it enough, sometimes even put a bump in it to, 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 to shock them out of the state they're in. Uh, to see if I can get them to come back and let or come back via letting go of, of that hard thought. So, um, you know, when someone says, oh, but you're bumping a horse, and it's like, well, that horse is in an extreme state already. We've got to sort of tap into it as, as, as quick as we can. Now, I'm not bumping to chastise. I'm not bumping to sort of dominate it. It's just a quick bump on that rope to say, let that go. And then as soon as we see that thought come around, uh, then we'll stand and just breathe and look like the most relaxed person in the world. Uh, and that's the key to it. Like even if you use the flag or the rope, um, you know, when that horse comes around and or lets go of that and suddenly brings its thoughts across, we're standing there like we're having a good day and we've kind of let let that rope loose. So there's no pressure. It's not like we pull, pull, pull and keep pulling. Um, we, we just let that rope loose and, and, and like let them sort of just kind of get their bearings a little bit and we're just nice and calm and it's not personal between us and them. So, you know, if I use the flag or I use the rope, it's not personal. It's just to say it's just a bigger distraction than what's happening at the moment. Um, the other thing is I might, as I, as I pick up on the feel of that rope to get their thoughts and I'm stepping away at the same time, I might use the end of the, 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 the rope that's in my, um, spare hand and I might give that a quick bang on the ground or bang on my boot to kind of make a bit of a crack just to sort of say, you know, to, 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 to make a stronger distraction. Um, but yeah, you just got to, and, and hope that the horse lets go of it and comes around. Um, when they start to kind of reset and manage themselves just a little uh, and you can see that they're not just tapping out, tapping out and just going sort of berserk, um, then then you might offer them a pathway. So once, you know, you're standing quite neutral, but then you might pick up that lead rope and just, uh, so when they're sort of, I guess, starting to come out of the red uh, and, and they, 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 they're still quite highly heightened and they're still, you know, easy to, uh, it's still quite easy for them to get distracted and go back up into the sort of red. Um, so they haven't quite slipped into that green zone where they're aware and they're kind of centering uh, better. Then I might offer them a, a pathway to follow just to sort of keep their mind off of going back to, to where they were. And that could be just, I might just sort of step across a little, put a little feel on the rope, get them to kind of look and think and step across. And they might go step in the other way a little bit. Some horses that are, that have had, I've, I've established a bit of a backup on. I might even put a little feel and back them up a little bit and just try and offer them an alternative to, to where they were. Because uh, I always like using education to get the horse into a good place. Um, you could, like for a horse that's been beaten up by people and stuff like that, the one that's super frightened of people that um, you, you just suddenly got one of these horses and you're trying to help it. 
well, if you did distract them out of that state, then you would probably do a lot less for a little while and just stand and be, you know, just show them that you're not a threat. But most horses that uh, just get into that state, but they're not really that frightened of people. They just don't understand pressure or uh, they've got, you know, bad separation anxiety. Then I would very quickly use education to put them into a better place instead of just waiting till they're kind of relaxed and kind of restful. Um, I would actually start to offer them a feel and start to say, follow this, because I really want to establish that that rein is a pathway to a better feeling or that lead rope is a pathway to a better feeling. So, yeah, I'll just re you know, maybe do a little baby serpentine where they step across one way and they step across the other just while I'm drawing them. So they're always following me. Uh, so I tend to, with horses like that, get them to draw and follow because following is almost like, oh, I'm following something until they kind of relax. But it's not just about following my energy. It's about more so following the, the rain and, and sort of getting them distracted through that, that, that rope. I sorry, I say rain all the time, but I mean rope if you're on the ground. Uh, and, they, and they kind of follow that into a better place. And then, then you can stand and have some rest time and, and, and just relax a little bit. Because um, we're trying to set up a pathway out of the red zone. Um, so so we, can, we can go for that a lot quicker. Uh, if you're under saddle and the horse gets to that state... If they're rearing and bucking, really, you kind of want to be getting off and, and just resetting them and then figure out what's going wrong because um, you can ride them out of that state and, 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 and if you could, you, 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 you sort of, you, you might have to. Um, so basically, if a horse is in a rearing state or anything like that, there's probably all these other things that the horse doesn't understand as well. But <clears throat> usually I just distract them by redirecting them with a rein. Um, you know, if you've done your sort of breathing and relaxing and your body's relaxed, which usually it's not when your horse is at that state, you're actually in your own heightened awareness state just trying to stay on them. So um, really, if a horse is starting to tighten up and get a hard thought, uh, before it gets to that state, I'm trying to sort of redirect its thoughts through that rein. So that's why I do a lot of turns in, like I call them U-turns. Um, you know, you're just going up the road and you do a turn and you go back in a different direction. So you pick up a rein, you redirect that horse. As soon as you see a little change of thought in it, even if it didn't have a big change of thought, it just let go of that one thing for a moment, then you loosen the rein and say, you know, see if it can sort of find a spot there. If it, if it can't find a spot and it escalates, you pick up a rein and you steer it the other way. Obviously, eventually, the more rein positions and control you have on your horses through the reins, you can start to kind of get them to yield their hind across through the inside rein. But um, I'd be very careful, like, with the methods of, um, you know, bending them around and just bumping them across with your... Uh, with your legs because some horses that leg just adds way more um way, it's like putting more fuel on a fire you're putting more energy into the horse so you have to be careful with that so i tend to just give them a lot of pathways with the reins to say let go of that um <clears throat> and then if i find that they've sort of let go then i offer them an island to sort of sit on where i just kind of relax and and lead by example i guess uh i i, I try as hard as i can just to sort of sit quietly and Imagine I'm just sort of pondering on, you know, what I'm going to do next and the horse can sort of kind of rest and come back with me. Um, but, yeah, anyway, it's just trying to distract that horse out of that place and then offering it something better, which is usually just a, a, a connection um, and a place where the horse can sort of reset a little. So that sounds like you, you're saying keep them busy, take their mind off it, distract them, keep them busy and then no legs. Yeah, but the busy, the busy, um, um, when, um, I, I, I'm very careful when I, when I use the word busy because, um, I, I, I used to hear that word used a lot, you know, get your horse busy or something to get it distracted. And I used to see people just riding that horse busy, like being busy in their hands and, 
busy and moving that horse's feet or whatever they were doing. And even to a stage that they were sending the horses around in circles to, you know, and, and, and it, you know, sometimes it looked like busying a horse was almost like we're, you know, also wearing it out at the same time. But so, so, um, it's kind of quietly interrupted, um, and as busy as you have to be to get them to let go of a thought. But if you think too busy, you, you might get a little too busy for some of the horses. Okay, our next question is about helping a horse um, who may have a similar sort of reaction, but a reaction to nothing that you've done, uh, a negative reaction to a past trauma. Um, specifically, this question comes from Kathleen. She has a horse that flinches its hind and every time anything is beside it or behind it, usually does it when a hand or an object is raised. And along the back of this horse, you can see visible signs of saddle pain where there's white hair marks. What techniques or strategies, Mark, should she use to help overcome these past negative emotions and reactions that could have been due to trauma? Yeah, I noticed um, yeah, when um, the, the in the question you were talking about past trauma too. When I was reading the question, how do I deal with past trauma? And I thought I thought it's an interesting kind of <clears throat> subject. Um, most horses I come that come to clinics, um, except for the green, bright-eyed, bushy-tailed ones, um, especially the ones that come with a lot of brace, are dealing with past trauma. Um, and and by the sounds of it, you know your horse is dealing with past trauma somewhere in the education. Things were bad. There was fear that never got rectified. Fear to pressure. Fear to people. Whatever it may be. Um, and the thing about some ingrained past trauma is um, we have to be very careful. So. Uh, and it's it's something I'm kind of constantly trying to talk about all the time, and so people get the right mental state, as in the well, the right way of being and understanding how to fix uh, certain problems and braces in horses. And so, if you walked up to a horse and put your hand up and it flinched, you could you could work on approach and retreat, but approach and retreat is to me sometimes better for horses that don't have past trauma. Uh, as in repetitive, um, you know, re it's like a, it's become a, a thing that they've, 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 there's a memory in them and a trigger that's triggering something. Um, so though you could, you know, go in and work on approach and retreat. So, you know, every time you walk up with your hand up, the horse flinches, you could back off a little until the horse, uh, you, know, you know, you're listening to the horse. So the horse starts to go, oh, you're, this person's a bit safe. Um, maybe them lifting the hand up, I, I can relax a little bit. So, and then eventually you can rub the horse down. But at the, at the end of the day, that's not going to help the horse. Um, it's not going to empower the horse. It, it empowers you to be a good, uh, listener and you, uh, tip the worry out of the horse every time you see sort of anxiety or something. You kind of sort of go into that nice listening state where you're listening to all your horses, you know, um, anxiety and that sort of stuff as it expresses its anxiety. But the problem with that, the horse does nothing, which means you're not empowering it to maybe get over that. And also, because it is past trauma, um, there's obviously a lot of memory responses in horses and, and, and under certain pressures, they'll go back to that. So taking the pressure off may only keep it there when the pressure's on again. Uh, so say if your horse was on a circle and it got so used to being driven by a stick that every time you lifted your hand on a circle, it'd just get really tense. Uh, even though you didn't have a stick in your hand or something like that, um, if you just back off the pressure till the horse relaxes, then you don't help the horse when someone is on that angle and they actually lift their hand and do something because 
you've taken away that stimulant to help them relax a little bit. So when we see that sort of trauma in horses and past trauma uh, that has been created by a bad bad training, um, we have to listen to the horse and listening is not necessarily uh, having a listening conversation with it, but we, we listen to, 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 you know, why is it worried? It's more worried on that side. It's when I do this, uh, I notice the horse braces a little. Uh, when I do a certain way, it stops moving when I do that. It flinches its hip away. Um, you know, it's, 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 a, it's a bit better on one side than the other. And, and you've got to listen to all those little things that the horse is telling you. And sometimes you've got to figure out, okay, I, I kind of sometimes figure out why the horse got there and, and, and maybe what someone did to get it there. And because there's only so many things you can do with a horse. So really you figure out very quickly how that horse has got that brace, um, especially if it's not just a raw nervousness. Um, and then you go, okay, how can I empower the horse by getting it to do something? So, so what I mean by getting it to do something is, um, you're, when a horse is stifled with fear or something over, uh, a bad memory of pressure, we're offering them an alternative to what they're doing right then. So what they're doing right now is, and so what your horse is doing is getting real flinchy and, and probably freezing up a little bit down through the side of its body when you lift a hand or do anything on that side so um as i say you've got two options one wait a little and step back and then till you can sort of do that but one day you'll throw your hand like that and the horse will still flinch so what i would do is i'd offer the horse the alternative and that alternative generally um you'll probably find your horse still has a lot of like if you did an experiment and you just walked straight towards your horse while it was standing there uh and you said i'm just going to walk up that side you'll find if you walked in a kind of reasonably energetic way, but not 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 running at it, you, your horse will probably square up and try and block you from going down the sides because a horse that's that, that wary down the sides is kind of still quite protective down the sides. And, um, and they'll protect that by sort of keeping two eyes on. So for that particular, you know, ex your particular question uh, with, with your horse, um, I would... Um, sort of get the horse to a stage that I can actually walk it and walk it past me on both eyes. And then when I lift my hand, I might only start lifting it, you know, when, when the eye is probably in line with my shoulder or something like that. And then when I see the horse flinch, I'll just kind of keep walking and I wave my hand. I might even offer a little backup with my hand, a little forward with my hand, and I'll just keep waving that hand and just, just kind of, you know, keep it there. I'm not going to pull the horse any closer to me or the hand or anything like that, but I'm just going to offer it a pathway in my hand until it relaxes into my hand, softens the eye and lets go of some of that brace. Now, the reason we're encouraging movement as well is because to me, movement is the best thing to heal horses, um, not um, just standing still until they go into that rest and digest state. I believe movement uh, it is movement frees up the mind and it frees up a lot of the brace that we have in our, our horses and i'm not talking about that that rigid movement that you see when horses are being chased around and stuff like that where they're nervous i'm talking about with a movement where the horse kind of lets go of tension and moves towards the thoughts softly so so i will always be encouraging a nervous horse to move into softness so they're moving softly um you don't you know, a horse that rat relaxes and stands and gets all gooey, as soon as you go to move it, chances are it goes back into that freeze again. Um, 
so basically i'm just going to be in there getting the horse to soften walk by wave my hand whatever i have to do and i'm not going to overdo it to put it in the red zone but i'm going to have it there in that place where it starts to tighten up and i'm just going to get it to move and i will be probably not pushing any further into its threshold but i'll push the threshold to create the brace to create the nervousness and then i'll walk backwards and i'll keep in that spot there and let the horse move with that feel maybe move across a little move into me a little bit a little back off a little and come forward a little, until the horse relaxes and kind of moves into that feel a little bit then i'll just kind of take it away and let it have a think about that and then so as soon as i get big uh like not big big but i, I i'll get big and like wave a bit or do something get the horse to flinch and then i'll put my hand on that lead rope and say follow this follow this and the horse goes oh and what will happen is you'll go like this and they'll go, oh, and they'll start searching for the pathway and they'll realise that um, you just taking a hold of them will help them feel better on that lead rope or something like that. Um, and then, you know, that's it's, it's very much the same as putting a belly rope on the horse and the horse tightens up and you hold it till the horse takes a step and then it takes two steps and then all of a sudden it goes, oh, I'm just going to move softly forward. And then all that tension and girthing up goes away because the horse knows that, you know, it's a pathway and there's an alternative. So basically any trauma, any sort of um, negative brace, freeze, flight responses, anything like that we see in a horse, we have to offer them an alternative to that. And that's all training is, offering horses alternatives. So, and I think it might, would be much the same if you're dealing with trauma in people as um, you can listen to them all day and pat them on the head and, you know, say, you know, it'll be okay. But it's it's teaching them to deal with that trauma and offering them an alternative so they they can be distracted from that trauma and um, empower them to do stuff instead of just sort of you know not do anything at all are you replacing their memory with a new memory with that movement yeah for sure um well i'd like to think so anyway because um it, it, i'm not for sure on that but um i'm pretty sure that um like what I say to people is, you know, I'll be looking at a horse, and whether it be riding or groundwork or whatever they're doing, and I say, how many times do you reckon your horse has done that brace? And they go, I don't know. And I said, I reckon it's probably done that brace about, you know, what I mean brace. A brace could be a horse just freezing and it could be uh, leading out really hard with a nervous eye or, you know, you squeeze it and it puts its ears back and sort of looks like it, you know, wants to sort of um, wants to kill you or something like that, you know. And and really, if you looked at a horse that's been ridden for 10 years, you go, I reckon that horse might have done that brace a million times. Who knows? Um, and so really, I, I, I say, like at the last clinic, I said there was, a, there was a horse that had a particular leg brace. You know, she was trying to squeeze it to go f forward, and the horse was just shut out to the legs. And, and, you know, it's shut out to the legs that many times. And I said, I'm going to give you one squeeze or bump depending on how, you know, what we wanted the horse, you know, it was just a, so I said one squeeze, I said, because I wanted the horse to squeeze forward and just go blow forward, like nice and soft off the legs. So I said, it's a $3 million squeeze. Okay. I'm going to give you one squeeze. This is your one chance at $3 million. It's like having given someone a basketball and saying, you've got one shot and it's going to be that three point shot. And if you get that shot, you get $3 million. Don't waste it. So basically, that's what I said to her. I said, you've got one squeeze. Don't waste it. You've got one shot at getting that horse to do a soft transition or a positive transition, I should say, because it's done a lot of negative transitions. So she had to think really hard how she was going to set that horse up 
that when she squeezed, that horse was going to go forward. Obviously, I gave her a few other tools in there so she could figure out how to set the horse up. So, but I didn't want her to waste her legs. And, and, and so basically, that one squeeze led into another squeeze, into another squeeze. And then all of a sudden, the horse had 10 squeezes where it made a positive transition. And I said, well, after 100 positive transitions, the horse might start forgetting negative transitions because the last 100 have been positive. So it's got to think back over 100 transitions. So yes, I think you do create a new memory uh, when, when you give them um, a, a, an, a, an alternative to something. But I, I think offering a horse an alternative and it only gets at 50% of the time, you still got 50 versus 50, 50 negatives versus 50 positives. So I think um, what you're really trying to do is trying to get 100 positives. So you got 100 positives all the time, like 100% positive with no negatives. And then they then the, the, the negative gets less likely to remember and be something that they go to. And of course, all those positive transactions are going to mean that you're establishing a completely new relationship with your horse where it's going to have a lot more trust and confidence in you, um, which is also going to help yep. overcome past trauma yep. memories yep. with other people. So, and um, yep. last question for you, Mark, then just still on, on this subject of trauma, um, how easy is it for horses to move on from a horrible experience? How, how have you found them? I've seen... I've, like a, a, a really nice, and I think she might have put a little post on Facebook, but there's a lady who just uh, finished a clinic with with me with a young horse, and she's so excited to work a young horse in a new way. And it was funny, uh, I was getting on this young horse, and there was a crop duster in the paddock beside us. A crop duster is an aeroplane that's got a pretty lumpy big motor, almost like one of those old, you know, World War II um, fighter planes with those big lumpy motors that you can hear. Bruh. And it was crop dusting and only, you know, really a few metres off the crop, as in crop dusting is where they, they'll, they'll be spraying a chemical over the crop. Um, and all the paddocks everywhere are so wet that all the paddocks are so wet that I guess there'd be more of them around. But this young horse was kind of more worried about why all the other horses were galloping around, apart from this plane that was kind of nearly at its, at its eye height, only the next paddock beside us. And, it, and it, it's not a small plane. Um, it's a fairly big sort of... Um, plane um and it was quite funny because i'm giggling sort of going you know and everyone was going oh look at the plane and i was trying to go well i'm sitting on the horse i don't want to worry about the plane but uh where i'm going with that was um that this was a young horse she'd started doing stuff a little bit differently and you could yeah, the coping of that young horse to sort of deal with all this was was really cool and i was, I was really impressed with it um but a horse that she took to a clinic um uh uh, some time ago that you know um she bought it back and um she'd bred it years ago but over the years of you know everything so there's a few sort of you know big braces in it and um we we got it to let go of one big emotional brace where we got the horse start to be able to think again and search and uh so i put a lot of effort into that particular brace and then once it started to search and think for itself it loosened up, it started to sort of just, um, you know, in the clinic, it started to look around, it started to sort of seek away. And, and then when I did ride it on the last day of the clinic, it just kind of wandered around. It was a really rainy clinic and there was puddles everywhere and, and it was sniffing puddles and walking around. It just really, it knew I was there. It knew what I was doing. If I shifted it, it'd go, yeah, I can feel you. But it was so uh, confident to still think about all the puddles that was stepping in and what it was sniffing and all that sort of stuff. 
So it had really opened up from a frozen sort of horse that, that didn't know, that basically it had no right to search left in it, and it, that's what it felt like. It felt it didn't have the right to act on its thoughts. But when it when, when we did get it to let go of that particular brace, um, the feedback I've got when I met her again with this young horse was the horse is a different horse now. It, it, it basically is at home. It's a different horse. It's soft to catch. She goes out, catches it soft. Um, it's, it's, it, it climbed up the pecking order all of a sudden. It, it, it actually, um, and I don't know if that's exactly from letting that brace go because I haven't done the whole big ho experiment with 20 horses that have got the same brace, put them back in a herd and see how they interacted. And, you know, so I'm just going by, uh, what she said. But, but by the sounds of it, the horse is, um, so much, it's different. It's different. So that, that human interaction, it kind of froze it up over its life that when it opened up again, it's, a whole bunch of things that are possibilities opened up for the horse, I guess. So yeah, Absolutely. I think I think yeah, you can you can get a future, you know, you can get a future out of a out of a, out of a pretty um what you think a horse that hasn't got nothing left. Um, you know, I I say to people, I say, you know, I there's a lot of horses that I see, and um, I didn't learn what I've learned from picking the best of the horses and throwing away the ones that weren't good enough. Um, I, I learned what I learned from picking the horses from the bottom of the barrel and trying to bring them up um, because, I, you know, there's a lot of horses that, you know, say in performance training and stuff like that, you get 10 of the best bred horses and they might only pick three of them to go to that what they want them to do. And, and um, so, but I, I, I always say to people is you never learn anything from trying to get the best horse and you, you get, you learn more from, you know, taking them from the bottom of the barrel and bring them to the top. and um, and I think that's where you sort of, you know, if you can do that, and there's a lot of people I see with a horse that was, you know, that even really good trainers had probably put to the side and said it's no good. And I've seen novice, reasonably novice people around horses bring that horse into a much better place through through making the right decisions. Hope, hope for you, Kathleen, and for everyone else that's out there um, battling away, trying to do the right thing, make the right decisions. Thanks so much, Mark. We will talk to you again soon. Thanks, Danny. Thanks, everybody. You can learn more from Mark online through his online training videos. Just search Mark Langley Horsemanship. There's over 380 training videos which everyone has access to with a seven-day free trial. If you like what you see, it's just $15 a month from there. That's help where you need it.